article. I recently read an article that talked about the sausage war. Who here has any understanding or has ever heard of the sausage war? Raise your hand if you have ever heard of the sausage war. I did not, I expected at least just a couple of people. Wow, well, let me tell you about the sausage war. During the Winter War of 1939, the Finnish troops, against all odds, won an amazing victory against Russian forces. Despite being outnumbered and outgunned, the Finns had a surprise weapon. A surprise weapon. You know what it was? That's a great guess. It was the aroma of their soup. Against an army that outmanned and outgunned them. On December 10th, 1939, just an hour before midnight, the Russian uh, troops crept through the black night. They wanted to cut off the Finns' supplies and were attacking an area manned primarily by medical and support personnel. When the Russians came on them without warning, the Finns ran away in panic, leaving their huge pots of sausage soup on the stoves. The Russians marched into the camp, smelled the sausage soup, and allowed their starving stomachs to give them their marching orders, or should I say stopping orders. The Russian soldiers laid down their weapons and they began to slurp. So, you were all wondering if there's really soup in here. <laughs> now you're going to wonder. I'm just. They began slurping. <laughs> Sausage soup as they stopped. With the Russians slurping soup. The Finns regrouped their medics, cooks, and supply sergeants into a 100-man force that held off the Russians until two Finnish combat units arrived to help win the sausage war. What should have been an easy Soviet victory turned into complete and utter defeat, all because the warriors who should have surged to success took their marching orders from their bellies Instead of the orders themselves to, to take a complete and total victory. This morning I want to preach on this title. The soup won't distract me. The soup will not distract me. Jesus, Lord, I believe that you really have a real, true, incredible word for your people. God, I pray right now against any opposition, Lord, anything that is going to oppose itself against your will and plan for the next little while. God, I pray if it's sickness, fatigue, worry, anxiety, God, remove it, Lord. Let us set it aside right now so that your word is able to operate and flow freely, God, in this place, in the hearts and the minds of people watching online. Father, we pray in Jesus' name right now. In Jesus' name, amen. How, do we, how often do we swap progress on long-term goals for short-term pleasures? Maybe, maybe we hit the snooze button instead of waking up to work out. 
Maybe we continually serve social media instead of reading a book. And if you say, what's wrong with that? Books are better than social media. I know there's a lot of wisdom on social media, but books are better. If we permit our temper to erode our relationship with our children, we allow a single slip-up in our diet to turn into a week-long junk food binge. Right now, there's already people going, oh, Lord, he's reading my mail. These are real-life examples, but what about the spiritual? How often do we trade in long-term blessings for short-term pleasures? This happens when we lose sight of the eternal perspective, and we fix our eyes on what is temporary. Instead of saying, hey, we're here for complete and total victory, we say, man, that soup smells amazing. We saw this in the Old Testament with Jacob and Esau, Genesis 25, 29. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, now this is not sausage soup, now it's stew. See how I did that? It transitions really well. So he's cooking stew, and his brother Esau arrives home from the wilderness, and he's exhausted and hungry. Esau says to Jacob, he says, I am starved. Give me some of that red stew that used to be sausage soup. This is how Esau got his name. Edom means red. And all right, Jacob says, betrayed me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I am dying of starvation. He says, so trade me your rights as the firstborn son. When Esau says, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright now? What did Esau just do right there? He looked at, he let go of the long-term view, the long-term perspective, and he zeroed in on the here and now, what my flesh wants right now in this moment, I'm not thinking about tomorrow. And so Jacob said, first swear your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn son to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil soup or stew. Esau ate the meal. He got up and left and he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Just like the Soviets got distracted by soup, Esau got distracted by stew. The birthright, it was like an eternal blessing. A birthright denoted the special privileges and advantages belonging to the firstborn son among the Jews. He became the priest of the family. The firstborn son had allotted to him also a double portion of personal inheritance. But you had to wait for it. And sometimes what we want, we want it now when we don't want to wait for it. It was passed down from generation to generation. So when Esau was willing to trade it for a bowl of soup, he was removing something not only from his own life, but he was removing something from the lives of his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. How often in a moment of pleasure do we say, my flesh wants this. I don't care about tomorrow or eternity. I want it, and I want it right now. And we're paying a price not only in our own lives, but in the lives of our kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids. 
He viewed the temporal instead of eternal. He let his belly give him his marching or stopping orders. This was a clear case of letting flesh rule over spirit, evaluating worldly things over spiritual things. How often do we break momentum of excellence to stop and sip soup? Another man in the Old Testament also let his fleshly appetite distract him when he disobeyed the law of God in Judges 14.5. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat, but he didn't tell his father and mother about it. Why? Just because we feel the Spirit of the Lord come upon us? Just because we feel the Spirit of the Lord come upon us does not mean it is well with our soul. Sometimes we feel God's Spirit And we view that as his stamp of approval on our lives. Just because we feel the spirit of the Lord come upon us when we are teaching Sunday school, singing, preaching, teaching Bible studies. That does not mean that God is saying, I am well pleased. When Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman, was very pleased with her. Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path. Oh, man, things happen when we turn off the path. How many of you know God has a path for your life? He has a plan. He has a purpose for your life. And bad things happen when we turn off the path. Samson turned off the path, and it says that, He came to to the carcass of the lion. Some of the dead things, Brother Schultz talked a little bit about that, some of the dead things that were in the past, he went back to some of the things he already had let go and passed. And what does it say? It says that he turns off and he found a swarm of bees and had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. I guess if you can tear lions apart with your bare hands, you're not afraid of bees. And so he scooped some of the honey and ate it along the way. He gave some to his father and mother. Why? Because even even when disobedience enters our life, it never, ever affects just us. Why? He gave it to his mom and dad. They ate it, but he didn't tell them that he took it from the carcass of a lion. Why does that matter? Because in Old Testament law, they were never supposed to eat from a dead animal carcass. But Samson had a fleshly appetite. He knew that he should not take. That's why twice in this story it says, he didn't tell mom and dad. He didn't tell mom and dad. Because his disobedience brought reproof upon his parents too without them even knowing it. Because when we live in disobedience, when we let our fleshly appetite rule instead of the spiritual eternal perspective, it will never just influence and impact your life. It will always reach, the consequences reach further than just you. And so 
It's never just one thing. Samson, he, he had a fleshly appetite and he disobeyed. And if that was it, you'd say, man, he messed up. But when we start to follow the flesh instead of the spirit, it never ends with just one thing. It never stops. The flesh never reaches the point where it says, man, that was good. Thank you for feeding me. I'm satisfied now. It always says that was good, and then the next time comes, you say, I need it again. I want it again. The soup was amazing. I want to try it again. I want to eat it one more time, except for this time, I want more soup. You see, Samson had that fleshly appetite, but it's never just one thing. Samson's visiting girls who don't serve God. Which is another thing God commanded him not to do. You see, when we want to start making decisions based on what we want, based on what feels good, based on what looks good, it's just a matter of time before those decisions bleed into multiple areas of our lives. It never just stays. You say, well, I just have a problem with this. So this is one issue. What happens is when the flesh leads us in that one issue, it's just a matter of time before issue becomes issues. Because there's a pattern. We say, my problem is this. I have an issue with this. But the problem is, no, I'm letting my flesh dictate what I desire. It's just a matter of time before it bleeds into other areas. And before we know it, instead of following God's command to walk after the Spirit, each day becomes a journey where we walk after the flesh. It was the Apostle Paul who, with weeping, wrote about the enemies of the cross in Philippians 3.18. He said, I told you before, often before, he says, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. You can hear this man has the heart of a pastor, a heart of an apostle, a heart of someone who wants to help someone. He's saying, I'm passionate about this. There's tears in my eyes. That there are many whose conduct shows that they're really enemies of the cross. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. We could say, well, I don't believe in false gods. Leave this passage up, please. I don't believe in false gods. I would never worship an idol. He talked about a golden idol. That, that's crazy. I would never do that. Oh, we got these statues that go on shelves. Not me. Never. I would never do that in my house. But Paul writes and says, you know what happens in the New Testament church? He says, listen to me, Philippian church. We can get to the point where our God is actually our appetite. Where what dictates our everyday life is not the principles and commands of the word, but it's saying, I feel like this, I feel like that. And so this dictates what I do. And so I follow the flesh and the appetite of the flesh. But he says, they brag about shameful things and they think only about life here on earth. He didn't say, I'm writing about this in the, in the world, this terrible world we live in. He's writing this to the church. And he says, it gets to the point where if we're not careful, our God becomes our appetite. We brag about shameful things and all we're consumed with is what is here and now. We lose eternal perspective and begin to focus on, I just want some soup because it smells good. 
Our physical appetites, our flesh have always warred against the Spirit. Paul knew this. Look what he says in Galatians 5, 16. He says, I say to you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't do, be doing what your sinful nature craves. He says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature wants. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. I don't care if you're Spirit-filled or not. You're always going to have two forces of nature that are always saying, I don't want that, but I want that, but I don't want that, but I want that. And one of them will win out on a daily basis. One of them, well, you're going to say, well, I want the soup. No, you can't have the soup. I shouldn't eat the soup. I have a job to do. There's something, there's, victory's mine. I'm in a battle right now, but I want to stop because it looks good. No, I can't stop because it looks good. But I, but I, but I want it because it, it smells good. No, because I am on a path, and bad things happen when I get off my path and go mess with the soup. It was like that in the Old Testament with Esau, with Paul here in the New Testament, with the sausage war in 1939, and it's still the same way in 2019. In the kingdom of God, believers are to control their appetites, not their appetites control them. Just like there are different types of soup. Y'all ever had the chicken enchilada soup at Chili's? Has anybody ever had the chicken enchilada soup at Chili's? You all are missing out. There's only like five of you that have had that soup. Chili's better give me a kickback, I'll tell you. You go to Chili's today, say, my pastor preached about you, and you need to call him and give him some free chicken enchilada soup. It is so good, so good. But different people like different things, you know. Who here likes real chunky, hearty soup? Raise your hand. So you won't like the chicken lunch a lot. Just put your hand down. Who doesn't like the chunky, hearty soup? We're having that. <laughs> all right, you all come with me. We're going to Chili's, chicken enchilada soup. I, don't, I, don't, I ain't trying to eat all those vegetables and stuff. You can puree them. That's fine, but I don't like that hearty stuff. That chicken enchilada. Okay, I got to move on. So there's cream of chicken and wild rice. There's chicken noodle, cream of potato. There's tomato. There's all kinds of different soups that can be in this right now. See, you weren't even sure if there was soup in here when I started, and y'all were curious. But it could have been anything. You couldn't even see in it. Some of you might have been able to maybe say, you know what, tomato, I think that smells pretty, pretty, pretty strong. You can probably pick out tomato soup. But there could have been anything in that big bowl. Just like that. What's in this bowl of life can be a lot of different things. For one of you, you say, man, I struggle so much with this. And the next person sitting in front of you or on the side of you says, you struggle with that? Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. How long have you struggled with that for? That's, that type of soup is disgusting. That type of soup doesn't look good. That type of soup doesn't smell good. How long have you struggled eating that soup? But then your type of soup... 
is something that they say, well, I've never struggled with that before. I've never, I don't even like that type of soup. I don't understand how anybody eats that type of soup. Chunky soup is nasty. And then you eat my chicken enchilada soup and you say, you think this was good? Well, what distracts us is sometimes a little bit different. Sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes it's Samson saying, I found a woman, she looks good, and I want her, mom and dad, go get her for me. Sometimes it's substances, sometimes it's illicit images, sometimes it's love of money, sometimes it's power, prestige, it's physical appearance. But for it does not matter, whatever it is, there's something in the bowl of soup that can distract all of us. The temporal should never rule the eternal. The earthly should never dominate the heavenly. The carnal should never control the spiritual. One of the greatest values of fasting is to ensure that the believer is not consumed by the carnal and temporal desires of the flesh. If you cannot fast 24 hours, you probably will find, unless it's a health issue that I'm saying, you probably will find that that you're going to see that your flesh kind of rules a lot of the areas of your life. If you haven't fasted since the last time we called a full church fast, I am asking you to pray about this. Fasting should be a weekly and fixed part of our lives. In the, in the book of Proverbs, the wise man wrote this in Proverbs 16.32. He says, better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than conquer a city. At a time where conquering cities was the premium, if you could conquer a city, man, you were a warrior. You would be elevated and exalted and even Saul and David, they sang songs as they entered cities. They would put crowns of victory on people's heads. You were exalted if you could conquer a city. But here the wise man says, I'll tell you something. Here's a word of wisdom. Better than conquering a city is to have some self-control in your life. And that was like that back in the, the early centuries, the ancient centuries, the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 8th, 10th century, all the way to the 21st century. We sometimes don't put enough value in self-control. Yeah, I tried, but it just doesn't work for me. Oh, I, I, I tried to read a book, but I just couldn't get through it. I decided I was going to exercise, but I only did it twice and it didn't work. I went on a diet, but that only lasted a week. I tried to fast, but I got hungry, so I ate lunch. You know, I tried to wake up early and pray, but I was just so tired from the night before. And what happens is a pattern starts to develop in our lives where every day, instead of the Spirit leading us, the flesh is saying, I'm hungry for soup. I'm hungry for soup. And so we say, fine, I'm going to have a bowl of soup. I'm just going to have one bowl. But the problem is it never ends with one bowl. And before we know it, every, every facet of our lives starts to be run by the flesh. Self-control is listed as a fruit of the Spirit for a reason. It's more than just a great personality trait. 
It's evidence of God's spirit working inside of our lives. Self-control keeps us focused on eternal things and doesn't allow us to get off the path for temporary moments of pleasure. John Locke, an English philosopher and physician in the 1600s, said this, the most precious of all possessions is the power over ourselves. Power to withstand trial, to bear suffering, to front danger. Power over pleasure and pain. Power to follow our convictions, however resisted by the menace and scorn. Power of calm reliance in scenes of darkness and storms. He that has not a mastery over his inclinations. He that knows not how to resist the opportunity of present pleasure or pain. For the sake of what reason tells him is fit to be done. Lacks the true principle of virtue and industry and is in danger of never being good for anything. Whoa. Whoa. If we're going to succeed in the physical things, if we're going to succeed in spiritual things, a long-term and eternal relationship with Jesus, we must get rid of the mindset that Samson and some of these and Esau, some of these men had that said, I want it. It looks good. It smells good. I'm hungry, so give it to me now. That got Samson, his eyes plucked out, and it cost him his life. It cost Esau his birthright and an eternal blessing on his family. And it will do the same thing for us if we say, man, but this soup, oh, I haven't had it in so long. I just want a little bowl. It smells great. It tastes great. I want it. Give it to me now. It's not the time. It's not the time. It's off the path. We're here for a purpose. There's a battle right now, and the victory is ours if we'll just take it. No, 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 but I want a bowl of soup. It just smells so good. It just tastes so good. Yeah, but, but, but that's not what we're here for right now. We're here for a purpose. We're here to accomplish something for God. Yeah, but, but, but this just looks and smells so great. In another place in Scripture, the Apostle Paul compared the spiritual life to a physical race. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. Right now, if I was to say, who won the NBA championship? Who won the NFL championship? Who won the Major League Baseball championship? You might be able to, to, you'd have to stop and probably think and say, okay, so NBA, that just happened. That was Toronto Raptors. And then Major Leagues, NFL, I think that was Patriots. And Major League, who was that? Because that was a little while ago. What about the year before? You, you see, it just, it happens so fast that people have a parade and they hold up a trophy and they put it in a case and, and you come and you say, hey, we won that trophy. And then, and then you say, we won that trophy. Oh, wow. And then all of a sudden it's been five years and it's been 10 years. And before you know it, you're looking back decades, and, and, and you can say, well, I'll always have that memory. But guess what? It comes, and the parades don't go on. It, it's one parade, and it's done. 
And he's sitting here saying, people train so hard for these things and they fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. Something that never fades. It never rusts. It doesn't just go in a glass encased shelf. Just like our Bible quizzers, they may win a trophy, they may not win a trophy. But the trophy is what's going to fade and collect dust and probably get donated to somebody someday. But what was hid in their heart, eternity will only tell the scriptures that have been memorized. So he says, so it's eternity. So I run with purpose in every step. I wonder today in the 21st century, if someone will hear me right now, what are we doing on a daily basis when we take a step, when we get out of that bed and we begin to go into our day? I want to be like Paul that says, I take a step. Every single one of my steps is with purpose. It's with purpose. It's with purpose. I'm not just shadow boxing. See, you're training. At some point, you might be training shadow boxing. But if 10 years from now, you say, what's your record? And they say, I'm still zero and zero, but I am an excellent shadow boxer. That's not going to do you a whole bunch of good. You say, okay, well, who are you fighting when you shadow box? Nobody. Paul says, I train because every step I take has purpose. I don't want to just shadow box. I don't want to just waste my time. So I discipline my body like an athlete training it to do what it should do how often are we letting our bodies rule and reign our lives when Paul says one of the issues with the church he says is you got to discipline your body train it to do what it should be doing You see, you can't just wake up and say, hey, like those foolish virgins, they say, well, the trumpet sounded. Hang on, I'm out of oil. I want to go to the party. And I think there's a lot of Christians today that we forget that the Lord's coming back for his church. And when he comes back, he's not going to say, hey, 10-minute warning, there's a countdown on the front screen of the church to get us ready. It says the trumpet is going to sound and all of a sudden the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Those which are alive and are remain, they will forever be with the Lord. They'll be caught up with him in the clouds. God's coming back for his people. And And at that point we can't just say, hold it, hold it, I'm not ready yet. We ran a Tough Mudder a couple years ago, five miles or something. You want to do the 10, the the, the full one's 11 miles. If I just said, hey, guys, I just found out it's an obstacle course, and you run up things and crawl under things and run and run up bleachers and do crazy stuff. My brother-in-law talked me into it. And so so we do that. And if I said, guys, I just found out that at 4 o'clock today, there is a Tough Mudder up the road. Who's with me? And we all just said, we're going to go and run it. Let's just go try. It. I can guarantee you I work out and I try and play basketball. And notice I said try, Brother Chris. I, I try and play basketball. I do these things, but I guarantee you I couldn't go up the road and run 11 miles in obstacles and say, I just decided today that I'm going to give this a shot. If you're going to do something worthwhile, it's going to take hard work. It's going to take training. There's a reason why Paul is comparing the spiritual walk. Why? Because it's a long haul. We don't just say, I came to an altar. I got baptized. 
I'm ready to go. Take me now. And then just call me, Lord. Shoot me a text 10 minutes before you come back. No, no, no. The true athletes, they train. Every single step that they take each day is with purpose. It's with a plan in mind. But our purpose is not just, uh, my goal is to survive here, between here and next Sunday, when I can get back to the church and get another plug of gasoline till it shoots me back up to full so I can live through. No, 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 no. Because you know what that means? Monday through Saturday, there's a lot of steps being taken that don't have any purpose. God's got a plan for you that extends far beyond two services a week. He's looking at you saying, I got an eternal perspective in mind. And I want to use your life. But you can't be distracted by the soup. The soup that says, oh, I'm going off the path. I'm going to eat. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to chill for a while. We conquer ourselves so that we can be profitable to God's kingdom. As believers, we're not lazy lions in a zoo waiting for our next meal. Oh, the trainer comes and you just pace. I'm hungry. I'm looking forward to the meal today. Somebody throw me a steak. We're not couch potatoes limiting our experience, our exercise to watching a race. Instead, God's called us to be to not spectators, but participators. Brother Schilt said it. I had this in my notes, Hebrews 12, 1. He says, wherefore seeing we are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. That means that they are different. Not everything that you do that weighs you down is sin. But it's still a weight. Lay aside the weight and the sin. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We see this theme throughout scripture. Because there were these Olympic gladiator games. They did all kinds of different stuff. And they understood that when they wrote to their audience. They understood training. They under and so these writers would appeal to that and say. We got to train. We got to prepare. Piggybacking off of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians about running the race. This writer of Hebrews mentions running the race again. But any athlete knows in order to run a race. Well you got to lay aside the weights. If I say, hey, I'm going to train, I'm going to do this, okay? You know what? I just decided today that I'm going to be an Olympic athlete. I'm just, I just made a decision. I'm going to go and be an Olympic athlete. Well, guess what? I'm not going to be an Olympic athlete by saying I eat my meals at Freddy's and Culver's. And because the soup, it's different. Oh, I'm going to walk with God. I keep seeming to trip over alcohol, so I'm, I, I'm, but I'm still hanging out at the bars. Now, come on. Some things need to change if we say I'm going to discipline myself to be what God is calling me to be. I can't say, you know what, I, I have this goal, and yes, I have this eternal perspective, but then every time I smell soup, I go off the path and sit down and eat soup. i got to lay aside the weights and the sins that deter us from the goal. The word weight there means burden or impediment. What are we allowing into our lives that looks good, feels good, sounds good, but is actually impeding or hindering our growth with God? Like Brother Schultz said, weights, weight does not come on us suddenly. 
I wouldn't consider myself a heavy person, but I took a full in-body scan, and they told me I need to lose 12 pounds. I said, my Lord, I just got this on. Let me enjoy it for one second. And the trainer said, not necessarily lose it, but turn it into muscle. So I guess that fat should feel better about that. No, no, you're not fat. You just don't have muscle. I'm like, I think I'd rather be fat. But what is that? When I graduated high school, I was 130 pounds. Now I'm like 172. And I didn't wake that. I didn't wake up and just like, Brother Shells, that was so, so good what he said. You don't just wake up and say, man, you know, that's crazy. I mean, unless there's something physically wrong, you got water weight, you know, they got to go to the doctor, there's something going on there. But you don't just wake up and say, that's crazy. Yesterday I was 150. This morning I woke up, I'm 300. Weights build up over time. So you say, man, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to be baptized. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Yeah, well, I just got an issue with this. I just got an issue with that. But other than that, I'm doing good. But, oh. Oh, that's my favorite soup. I got to stop and eat this. I'm back at it, Lord. I'm, 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 where, where was that path? Right here. Here it is. I'm back on the path, God. I'm walking with you. I'm committed to you, Jesus. God, I'm going to. Oh, there's that soup again. This is probably my second favorite soup. And what happens is we keep deterring from the path. To stop and have another bowl of soup. To stop and trade in another day, another week, another month. Things that not only impact us, but they impact our families. Why? Because it looked good, smelled good, and I wanted it. But you know that I know. But when it comes down to it, today, my flesh was just stronger than my spirit. How does that happen? It happens when one gets fed more than the other. You'll find when people, you don't find a lot of people saying, man, I fell and I just came off a three-day fast and I've, been, and I've been studying the word. I listened to three messages yesterday. I'm telling you what, I was teaching a Bible study. It was powerful. David fell when he stayed back from the battle. The sausage war ended when instead of taking the battle, they sat down and had soup. Samson, a man who was virtually invincible, fell because he said, Mom, Dad, that girl looks good. Go, I want her. Go get her for me. I'm hungry. I know I'm not supposed to eat anything out of a dead animal carcass, but that honey looks good. I'm going to get me some and bring some for my mom and dad. Why would you do that? Because it looked good, and boy, did it taste good. I pray to God someone hears this. Because this is the kind of stuff 
that is going to dictate your future. It's going to dictate my future. Just because I'm standing here holding the microphone doesn't mean I don't have flesh. It's going to dictate our future. Where there are going to be, like Paul said, you're going to wake up one day and the flesh is going to say, Hey, I am hungry. Feed me. I'm starving. And we're going to have decisions to make where we say, I understand, but I don't walk after the flesh. I walk after the spirit. And you know what you're reminding me of flesh today? It's time for a fast. So today, you're not even being fed food. Instead, I'm going to read the word. I'm going to pray. Why? Because my flesh is not going to dictate where I go on my path. Someone today needs to get the attitude that rises up and says, the soup will not distract me. The soup will not distract me. There is sacrifice that comes with being called to run this race. But if you're willing to do it, and I'm almost done, you will receive a reward that never passes away. But in order to do this, our eyes have got to remain fixed on the eternal and not the temporary. But this is a constant battle. And it's a battle we must all be aware of. Look what Jesus tells his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, 41, he says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. And Jesus straight up says to them, The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. He said that to probably some of the greatest men who ever lived on this planet. Peter, James, John, Bartholomew. Uh, these are some of the greatest people who have ever walked in shoe leather. And Jesus, on the night of his crucifixion, looks at them and says, Be careful. Watch and pray. Because your spirit is willing, but you still got flesh. And your flesh is weak. And he gives his followers a warning that still rings true thousands of years later. That says, be careful. Because your flesh is weak. Spirit's willing. But you have to watch and pray every day. Paul sits there and says, take heed lest I fail. I don't want to be a, I don't want to preach to everyone and become a castaway. And I'm like, dude, Paul, I don't think you've got nothing to worry about. You're one of the greatest men to ever live. But he says, no, I can't. I can't preach to everybody else. In all of his pouring out, he realized I still have to watch and pray. When people get off course, it's not always because they didn't want to love and serve God. Nobody's accusing you. They say, man, I got off course again. I did this. I did that. I would never say, well, what's wrong? You don't love Jesus? It's simply that the flesh got hungry. 
And instead of denying the flesh and feeding the spirit, the spirit was starved in the flesh got soup. So Jesus gives that key. Watch, be aware, be on guard. I invite you to stand to your feet this morning. Where are you today? What are some of the things that you know are sin? It's sin. It's sinful. It's sin, 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 sinful, and you know it. But you're dabbling in it. What are some of the things that are not sin? But today you stand there and go, I know. I know this is impeding my growth. When God does stuff like this and he kind of pauses a message and he starts to speak these things, chances are I can't talk about, let's talk about chicken enchilada soup. Let's talk about lentil soup. Let's talk about potato soup. Because your, your soup that smells good to you and looks good is different than the person next to you. So today I'm not going to mention one or two or three issues, what I'm going to say is right now, there's a chance that God is prodding you with an issue. Right now, there's one or two things that you're just feeling in your spirit. If you're not feeling anything at all, find an altar. He'll speak to you. Why? Because he loves us enough to not let us stay the same. So if you say, man, I, I don't feel nothing. I'm totally fine. Find an altar. Find an altar. Why? Because we're all still flesh. So chances are there might be that one thing that you just feel God is going, it's time. It's time. We're training. The path is ahead. It's been slowing you down. It's time. You've been trying to carry that weight for too long. It's time. It's time to lay it down. It's time to get in the waters of baptism and have your sins washed away. It's time to repent of those sins. It's time to receive the Spirit of the Lord with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. It's time. It's time. You're try, trying so long to keep carrying the same things. And I believe God's speaking and saying, once and for all, we just are, He's just looking for someone who's going to come to an altar and maybe bring that bowl of soup. And say, God, it seems like every time I smell this bowl of soup, I just get off my path and I slow down and I stop and I eat the whole bowl. But God, I don't want to let flesh dictate my path. I don't want to walk after the flesh anymore. I want to walk after the Spirit. So God, I'm bringing this bowl of soup here and I'm laying it on this altar. And maybe we're sitting here saying, Pastor, you don't got enough bowls for what I've been carrying. That's fine. He's got a big altar. And we can bring these bowls of soup and we can say, here's the bowl that I've been dealing with. And here's another bowl I've been dealing with. And here's another bowl I've been dealing with. And God, I need you to work a miracle in my life. But God's not the only one who works. 
Sometimes I think that we expect God, he's supposed to do the work. And I'm like, where are you, God? You didn't do the work. And he's like, I filled you with my spirit so that I could do the work in you. But you're the one that needs to set some things on the, on the altar. You're the one that needs to walk away from the aroma of the soup. You're the one that needs to make decisions that if you're struggling with XYZ, that you're not going to go hang around XYZ. You're the one that has to make those decisions to walk after the spirit and not after the flesh but I'm not going to let you do it alone I'm going to fill you with my spirit so I'm going to give you the help and the strength but if you don't feed my spirit and instead you just feed the flesh then my spirit starts to whittle and die in your life and your flesh starts to get big and strong and God's looking for somebody today that just says I'm so sick of the soup distracting me I'm so sick of the soup distracting me my soup is this oh my soup of choice is this whatever that is we need someone to find a place that says, you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm done with this. I'm sick of stopping every time I smell the soup. I'm sick of stopping every time to eat the soup. God wants to speak to you today. God wants to walk with you today. He wants to wash some things away. He wants to give you a fresh start. He wants to be a strength to you so that you don't keep stopping and tripping over the same stuff. Oh, the soup ain't going to distract me no more. Soup ain't going to distract me no more. Always revive me. Oh, the only one who brings me peace. I'm so forgetful. I'm sorry. 